It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Vents. This is Fed Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Get a cracking. Suprena. Santos. Vent Weekly. Today, we're bringing you a history lesson. That's right, we're looking into the life of Black Panther Olive Morris. I think what history teaches us in the present is that we don't know everything. For us to rectify or change the future, we need to know the mistakes that our forefathers and people did in the past. In a sense, I feel like history teaches us a lot, but whether or not we are learning from it is another story. Today we've invited LSE graduate and podcaster Umu Longley and archive volunteer Michael Apple on to talk about activist and Black Panther Olive Morris's life and the importance of archives for storytelling. Could you guys introduce yourselves? Yeah, my name is Umu. I'm a podcaster and a researcher. I work for a charity called Anima Youth, which is targeted at helping vulnerable young women in Lambeth and Croydon uh, with youth-led projects. Uh, And I recently graduated from a master's degree in gender studies, which I did at LSE. And there I specialised in archives and researched into Olive Morris and her life and tried to tell her story. And that's hopefully going to be published at some point. (laughs) Nice. And I'm Michael. I am a freelance writer and journalist. And I'm also um, one of the agents on the Brent Agency scheme. In terms of like archives, I am a volunteer archivist over at the George Padmore Institute in Finchley Park in North London. I kind of wanted to just enrich my own knowledge and understanding of what it means to be black and British. And I thought the best thing to do was to go back to understand the current. That sounds amazing. So just to get us started, Umu, could you tell us who was Olive Morris? Yeah, sure. Um, Olive Morris was an activist, basically. She was around in the 60s and 70s in Brixton, but she was originally born in Jamaica and moved to England when she was about age nine. So once she moved to England, she became part of like the Black Panther Youth League, which was like a section of the Black Panthers where they would teach young children uh, and educate them on Black British history, say on a Friday, or just try and get them involved in social justice at the time. But as she grew up, she left that group and she went on to found two really influential other Black women's groups. So one of them was called the Organisation for Women of African Descent and the other one was called the Brixton Black Women's Group. And as well as that, she was a massive part of the squatters movement and she squatted multiple houses, like resisted evictions, 
um, and turn one of her squats into a black bookshop where she would sell and produce uh, literature that was relevant to the local community. So she was a really important part of the community, but sadly she passed away when she was about 27. So she had a year-long battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and passed away in 1979. She still had a really massive impact on people. Um, people found her a little bit intimidating, like a bit overwhelming, but I think that's kind of in a good way because she kind of hold, held people to account and like made them be a bit better or... You couldn't really hide from her. So, yeah, she's not around anymore, but she's definitely still like a vibrant part of people's minds and part of a big part of a community. I see. Why did you feel it was important to document her life? It's kind of similar to what Michael was saying. I felt like I had gone through school, I had gone through university and I hadn't really learned anything about black history. And I was sitting there like what the hell, like this cannot be, like I'm not just not present in British society. And when I had been learning about black history, it had often been from the perspective of slavery and of suffering, particularly in the British classroom. And I think what happens when all you're left with is slavery and suffering is you can internalise a lot of feelings of not being very valid, of being weak, of being oppressed. And of course, slavery is a very important part of black identities, but there's more to being black than being a slave. It's like there's part of being black that's just to be human, to just be allowed to exist in any normal way. So by going to the archive, I kind of wanted to connect with some kind of more meaningful representation of what it meant to be black in Britain to me, to like just see myself as a human being, to see myself as like someone that's reflected in society. I like how you took like your own initiative to do this research, because I think it's so easy, especially when you're in school doing your GCSEs and doing your A-levels, and you just take what they teach you. And obviously they don't teach you everything, but sometimes when you're a kid, especially in GCSEs, you don't really feel like maybe you can do your own research. You kind of have to listen to what the teachers are telling you and what they teach you. And you said that you used archives. Could you tell us what archives are or could Michael tell us what they are? So archives are basically institutions, organizations. So um, most of the time they have a like particular focus. So the archive I volunteer at is called George Padmore Institute. And it's then started with the archive of uh, John LaRose, who was a publisher and was like really closely connected with a lot of Caribbean and African writers and activists. So basically what is archiving is anything from like talks, like oral histories, any sort of ephemera, so any letters sent back and forth. Like, would you say like diary entries? Yeah, it can be diary entries for sure. Um, uh, anything that is kind of like communicated between people within a certain time and have within a certain context can be kind of like archived. Um, I feel like once you have kind of that sort of basis to understand that like, the conversations that we're having matter and will matter in the future, that was kind of like the thing that shifted it for me in terms of like seeing what an archive is and what an archive can possibly be. So in your experience, Michael, like what are the different ways that you have used an archive before? So for me, in terms of using them, first I had to kind of like, felt like I had to establish a relationship with it, which is why I kind of came into it from a volunteer standpoint 
I felt like I wanted to both contribute to like the actual like practice of the archive and then use it in a way that will both enrich like my understanding of our history as black British people, but then also use it as a resource for whenever I write or for whenever I feel like I need to document something now to know that I have a reference point to work from. And um, Umu, you actually used archives to bring Olive's story to life. So how did that archive shape the way that you told the story? Do you feel like it gave you a unique standpoint? Yeah, I guess so. I think that the Olive Morris collection is like an interesting archive because it's built out of like the drive of a community who like basically wanted to have Olive remembered. So... Basically, it only really came about in 2008, which is like years and years after she died. And her friend, uh, Liz Elizabeth Obi and a woman called Anna Laura Lopez de la Torre founded this group called the Remembering Olive Collective. And they would meet up and just like collect stuff to do with Olive. And eventually they did a lot of uh, a massive oral history project. So they interviewed about 30 different people who knew Olive and got them to tell stories about her life uh, and share with them their experiences of her. Um, so I think in that way, like, was it whether I have a, u- what would you say, sorry, a unique, unique perspective? Unique, yeah. Yeah, I think because they kind of break what stereotypical uh, archives are supposed to be, which is often like categorizations and like very rigid forms of information, it gives you a more rich understanding and means you can sort of imagine her in a more real way, even though she's not actually around anymore. And also, I think because they valued the voices of the community who actually knew her, then in myself, like, or other people who use it, you can kind of see yourself feeling a bit more valuable as well. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, wait, that's a legitimate form of knowledge. It's just like asking someone about their experience and their history. That means that my experience and history can be important too. When you read the archives, did it impact you? Because as a British black woman yourself, did it resonate with you? And like you said, explain maybe some of the experiences that you're having now and maybe give you some answers? It did really connect with me. Like the whole thing that as I was learning more about Olive, like I kind of felt more comfortable being in the archive. Like when I first went in there, I felt like really like, oh God, I'm a bit nervous. Like I don't know if this space is for me. But um, as I learned more about her, being situated in Lambeth and being a part of Lambeth history, I started to feel a bit more like, I guess I was allowed to be there. So I guess in a sense, yes, it did have an effect on me. I don't know if like you guys have used archives or been in them before, but um, yeah, they can be quite weird institutional spaces and Mm. historically quite painful spaces because that's where people have been erased and deleted and history has been modified. Um, so it can be quite powerful to go into them and like, yeah, like Michael has done and like find those stories that you really want to hear. So just going off what Umu said, when you started volunteering, what was that experience like? I think the first time I went there, it was like a little bit different to Umu's experience. Um, one, because I had had like a kind of like good idea of what not what I would um, actually experience, but what I would encounter in terms of like the actual content, because I knew it was connected with a a bookshop that kind of like published black literature from like the 60s and 70s. So I knew it would be a space that would 
at least be trying to push against the sort of erasure that um, happens in archival spaces. Um, but at the same time, it was still like a process of learning to be comfortable and learning that it's a space that kind of like you're welcome to use. It's a resource that you're welcome to use just because I get what you're kind of getting at because it does feel like a space where it's just like immediately it's, there's nothing that clicks for you that's, that says, oh yeah, this is a sick space that I want to be in or I can engage mm. with in this way because it kind of feels like it can be trapped underneath a lot of layers of, you know, bureaucracy and paper and all of that stuff. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm really struggling to think of times when I've seen myself represented in history. And I'm not sure if that's because I don't have a very strong sense of identity myself, or if that's because most of history is by and for and about other white English-speaking men like me. I didn't really learn any like queer history in school. Like, there wasn't anyone that I learned about that maybe seemed to have a similar like yeah like sexuality or identity to me and I think that's been like a really nice thing that I've done as an adult is I've had friends who have like taught me bits about queer history and like shown me films given me books and like situated queer people within like a longer trajectory rather than just now So what would you say to people that maybe feel like, why should we use archives when there's so much issues going on now, presently? Why are we looking back at the issues that happen in history? What would you say to them? I think that you can't separate what's going on now from what happened in the past because we're like entirely in our own position because of people who fought before us uh, uh, and things that have happened before. I also think that it's very important to understand the past, especially if you're of a marginalised identity, to understand how you exist in the present because, I mean, it can feel very confusing if you get that, like, uh, black people achieve less in schools or that uh, black women are seen as more aggressive, but, like, you don't know why. So by finding out why and understanding the history, I feel like you're better equipped to deal with those kind of oppressions when they come when you come across them. What can be so cool about archiving or deconstructing traditional ways of archiving is that really 
anything that you collect around you can be an archive. Like all this stuff that you have in your room that you've like got memories from childhood, all the photographs, you're already collecting an archive of your life. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> it's about like not seeing an archive as this like hierarchical thing that you can't achieve and valuing the normal ways in which you exist. If you're trying to make an archive to conform to something that is like basically based around a white system, that's like you're never going to fit properly into that so you need to find your own ways that work for you and your community like using what you already have like talking to your family members and valuing that as a normal good place to produce knowledge you know if somebody wanted like one day if I woke up and wanted to start my own archive would I be able to do that just by living your life you are collecting and you are archiving one of the first things I realized when I was there was just like my phone is definitely in the archive Oh, 100%. 100%. It is like a document of, you know, experiences I've had, thoughts I've had, you know, Mm. people I've come into contact with. And then even like on a more kind of like organisational scale, you can definitely start archiving just by understanding your community and trying to come together in a community sense. I have a friend called Tanya. Uh, She's from Northwest as well. She co-runs this organisation called Black in a Day, which archives um photographs of like wow. black british people from around the 80s up till now but the way they approach it is that it's a very informal process they like have um socials they have events like they're very like social media focused and so starting an archive doesn't have to be like this quite kind of intellectual endeavor it can be a thing where it's just like I want to look at my baby pictures. I want to look, <laughs> I want to see how your dad dressed in uh, yeah. 1990 when he first came here. Like that type of kind of like community, communal type of um, thing where you want to know more and mm-hmm. you're passionate, passionate about mm. understanding your place in society, understanding where you come from. I think that's like what it really takes to make an archi- archive. You don't really need to have the things that are like traditionally associated with it. Because I was just going to say then, I make music and I've been making music for like the past eight years. So it's kind of like what I express in my songs, could that be seen or like kind of used as an archive in the future? Yeah, for sure, man. So basically like my songs are like archives then. Yeah, definitely. They're stories, man. That's, That's pretty cool still. So how do both of you feel like we can make archives that exist more accessible to especially younger people? I think something that is possible is that one, it does kind of need to be a process where you have to be able to give as well as take. But there does need to be like a relationship there. But part of building that relationship is offering young people, younger people, the opportunity to engage in the archive in a way that's relevant to them, in a way that they want to understand more about history, in a way that they see the value of understanding stories. I think that's such a great idea because like I said before, I was only exposed to it when I went to university, but had I been exposed to it maybe when I was doing my GCSEs or even before then, like Key Stage 2 or Key Stage 3, maybe I would have had more of an understanding and interest into it. So I definitely feel like it comes with the exposure and like you said, also the initiative, because I do feel like that's important as well. You have to have like maybe an interest to get you at least to search for it. Mm. I feel like that 
needs to come from petitioning for having more of these stories be in the British curriculum because if you're never seeing any of these things in the curriculum you don't have that interest sparked in the first mm-hmm. place exactly. um, and obviously it's not in the curriculum because like of all sorts of reasons to try and keep people oppressed keep people feeling foreign keep people from feeling like they belong here but if it was see if I had seen those stories for instance when I was at school I would have had such a completely different conception of who I was as a person and my interest might have been sparked a lot earlier on than at university in black British history because I literally just didn't realize that these stories were there but they are and that's like crazy exactly (laughs) Because I feel like in schools, it's very one-sided. Sometimes you feel like, where do I stand in history? I think as soon as you talk to people and you, like, realise, like, human experiences, you realise that barely anyone really fits into the mould that we're told to fit into. Uh, And from, like, the vantage point of being socially excluded, the world looks, like, completely different to what is presented in, like, mainstream TV or uh, media. Um, And as soon as you recognise with other people that that's the case, it's like, oh, Obviously, this is all, like, bullshit. (laughs) Thank you, Umu and Michael, for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks. Thank you. No worries. You know, things that happened many years ago still have an impact on people and still have some sort of importance on people. You know, these archives from the past can, you know, really alter someone's perception on on the world, on themselves and, you know, just the the place that they live in. Now, I definitely feel like I've taken it more personal. I feel like the younger you start, the more obviously information that you have about yourself. So I'm definitely going to think about making my own archive because I know it's going to be important for the future, you know, when they're looking back. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly. I've been Santos. And I've been Sabrina. And thanks a lot to Umu and Michael for coming on. You can find Umu's podcast, Bullshit Binary, on Spotify and visit the George Padmore Institute next to Finsbury Park. This episode was produced by the Vent production team. Jess Lawson, Amelia Gill, Moeed Majid and Ali Adlington. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.